did anyone get involved in, in, uh, the, the, with the practices that we did during Advent? Can you believe that was three weeks ago? Three weeks ago was Christmas. Three weeks ago was last year and before Christmas. How did that happen? But did, I don't know, did anyone light the candles and pray with their family or anything like that? Some people. Um, so we did as a family. We did it all in the last week. I've got to be honest. We didn't do it once a week. And it was only because Lockie said to us, are we doing those practices? And, oh, yep, yep, yep. And um, I bought a candle when we were on holidays, but I didn't actually ever get it out. So uh, we, we, we lit the candle and on Christmas Eve, my mum and dad came up and my, uh, my dad was brought up in a traditional church, um, very committed, very solid. Uh, but he came to UNE, he did his agricultural economics degree here and he was baptised in the Holy Spirit here. And his Christian life radically changed from that point on. Um, and and he, he lived the Christian life completely differently. And so when he came and I hand him a book and we light a candle and he starts to have to read prayers, so dad, can you lead us through this? He just kept saying, well, aren't we good little Anglicans? And it was nothing against Anglicans, but he was just, his brain was exploding. He couldn't, he's like, what are we doing? And, uh, but for me and for my sister and, and for dads who were kind of very much brought up in a Pentecostal environment, to sit around a table, to quieten ourselves, to, to read these these words that you know that Christians everywhere are reading during that week. It was this beautiful moment and it, and it got to Christmas Day and there was one to go and mum and dad and Jill went back to our house. We were house-sitting and, uh, and, and a couple of people had come around that didn't have, any, have anywhere to go and they were leading it. And their kids and our kids and my niece and nephew, they're all sharing with what God has done through the year and we're quietening ourselves and we're pausing after what is a busy day. We're like, oh, this is church. I love this. This is church as much as this is church. This is church as much as me yelling out, hey, hey, and scaring Eloise on the front row when I get excited in worship. The expression of the church is beautiful. And so we did those, you know, we did um, hope and peace and joy and love across Advent. But because we don't have a Christmas Day service, we missed out on the pinnacle. And that is Christ. And so today, I want to preach on Jesus, a shocker, right, coming to church and hear Jesus preached, but I want to have a reflection on who Jesus is and how we appropriate that reflection for our year. How do we, for 2024, appropriate reflecting on Christ? And does anyone love to-do lists, love ticking off to-do lists? There's a few in the room. I work with people like that. I prefer to work by the vibe and just, just kind of fill it out, go where the wind takes me. It doesn't always be the most efficient way, but I get lots done of a lot of different things. But I work with a lot of people who love ticking things off and they love finishing well. Who's like, who had a list for 2023 and you're looking at it and you're thinking, yes, I ticked everything off that list. That's pretty typical, right? And what I've found is that life is messy. It doesn't always work out. We have a plan and we love our list, but it doesn't always work according to the way that we want our list to be. Certainly, you know, for those of you who know, and, and I just thank you so much and take the opportunity to thank you so much for everyone who prayed with us and prayed for us and declared victory and all that kind of thing over our last couple of years. It was the hardest couple of years of our life, as Jazza mentioned when he was up here. Life is messy. And and it got to a point, it was going to be June 9, and on that day, I was like, oh my goodness, it's done. 
It's finished. It's over. It's completely done. And it was all the more poignant because all the way along, I was believing that it would be done. January 31st, that was a milestone date. It's going to be done. It's going to be done. February 1st, oh no, we've got another couple of months to go. And every step along the way, there were these milestones and I would have faith for it, but it would just be prolonged. Then June 9, done. And it was the, the, the trial, as I thought, was over. Um, but then it turned out that we had a lot more process to go through. It was done for the Bunnell family, praise God. But we had a lot more process to go through as a church, and that continues. And then my daughter had an encounter at the supermarket a couple of weeks ago where I realised, oh, maybe this isn't ever done, and we've just got to work out how to live with all of this because life is messy. As an example, maybe, and, and I don't know situations in the room, so I can say this without you thinking that I'm talking about you, imagine that your divorce, it's five years ago today, five years ago, and you're like, it's done. And oh, thank you, God. And we made it through and thank you. I appreciate it, Lord. Thank you for being with me and thank you for being faithful. And now I'm just going to take all that trauma and everything that happened. I'm just going to put it in a box. I'm going to put some tape around that. I'm putting it in the bottom of the linen cupboard. And then like tomorrow you got to grab a pillow slip and it's all over the floor again. And it's just popped out and you've got that sick feeling again because life is messy and the closure that we crave doesn't always occur in the way that we want it to. Things pop up in our minds, things pop up in our brains. And that's why I love the verse that Zoe read out this morning. We're going to read that again today. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 20 and 26. It says, I will never forget this awful time. It's <laughs> a good opening verse for 2024. <laughs> I will never forget this awful time. You see, in Lamentations, it's a book of lament. Lament means a deep cry of anguish. And if you're potentially going through a crushing right now, I encourage you to go home and read the book of Lamentations. It will give words to the cry of your heart. It will articulate. And, and I love that God didn't just write down all the victories in the Bible. He wrote down all the full gamut of human expression in his word that we might identify with it and we might know that he is faithful. So there's this deep cry. And uh, so if you, if you have that deep cry at the moment, go read Lamentations. If you're like full of optimism for the new year, don't read Lamentations, <laughs> stay away, put it away for another day. So they're lamenting it, and this is the pinnacle. In, in Hebrew scripture, often the pinnacle's in the middle rather than at the end. Often we save things till the end. They tend to put the point in the middle of the writings. I'll never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. So it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh every morning. So the fact, the fact that life is messy has the truth with it that his mercies are new each morning. And yesterday's mercies, they're not adequate for today. They're stale now. But when you woke up this morning, there were fresh mercies. And, and tomorrow's mercies, you don't need them yet because God's giving you mercy for today for everything that you need. It's as if theologically incorrect concept because God is everywhere all the time but it's as if he's leaning over the veranda of heaven and when you opened your eyes this morning he was like good morning 
not like a weirdo stalker, but like a loving father. Good morning. Good morning. Let's go. Let's do this. I've given you mercy for today. I've given you faith for today. I've equipped you with everything that you need for today. Let's go. Let's do this. And five minutes in, when you get it wrong, as you know you do, it's like, that's all right. Come on, let's go again. And don't forget, you're going to wake up tomorrow and I've got fresh mercy then as well. Fresh mercies every single morning, every single day. You know, I love that the, the Jews, their day starts at night. So sun goes down, they have a feast and then they go to bed. <laughs> they do it the opposite way to us in that they start with rest. They start with feasting and they start with rest. Eight hours of sinless activity while you sleep <laughs> and then you're starting off on the best foot ever. They start with rest. So how will we start well? I know we're two weeks in. You might think, Bron, I had plans for 2024. They're already a write-off. It's okay. There were fresh mercies this morning for you. And you've got the opportunity to start well today and tomorrow and Tuesday. There are fresh mercies. So how will we start well? There's just a couple of simple principles. The first one is to remind. And they all start with R. So that through the week, you'll remember. Remind, firstly, remind, it says, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. I say to myself, he says, I will will always remember this loss. But he's saying, but also on the other hand, I'm never going to forget the faithfulness of God. I'll remind myself of his faithfulness. I'll remember. And Daz preached a message here on the week before Christmas which was this date, um, 17th, I think. And, and I actually heard it six times because I met him up at Bendy and, and uh, heard him preach it there. And then we went to Narrabri the next week and I heard him preach it there. And I, that week I heard him preach it three times in jail. Not, I wasn't incarcerated. We were doing prison services. He brought me a different message when I was incarcerated. No, I've never been incarcerated. Um, <laughs> and so six times. And, and it was the best message. It was about peace. You might remember it. It was so practical. And one of the points that he brought out was, he didn't say it like this because he didn't grow up in Sunday school, so he didn't have Salty the Singing Songbook. But if you did, you'll remember, if you find yourself in a fix, remember Philippians 4, 6. And it says, don't be anxious about anything. Anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Josh read it out this morning. In the NLT, it says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. This idea of when anxiety comes, when worry comes, stop that and turn it to asking God for what you need with thanksgiving. How good is thanksgiving? Reminding yourself of what he's done remembering, you know, it does three things when we give thanks. Number one, it brings glory to God. That's always a good thing. And it's such a good thing in the midst of a trial and in the midst of trouble. I'm starting to worry. There's anxiety coming. I give you thanks, God. Oh, that's such glory to God of his work in us because we wouldn't naturally do that. The other thing is, and if you enjoy this, I always do, it's like a kick in the face to the enemy, to the devil, Um, who you may or may not believe in if you're visiting today, but I always like to just give him a good whatever. (laughs) Okay, stop being violent, Brian. Um, I love to stick it to the enemy and I feel like when he comes at me with fear and anxiety and telling me, you can't take this, this is too much for you, and I turn that and I start to give God thanks, if I'm the enemy, 
I'm going to give up eventually. And you're like, this is too hard. I keep trying to attack her with fear and anxiety. And all she does is give praise to God. And that really ticks me off. I would hope that eventually he would give up. I'm yet to see, but I'll keep giving it a crack. And so I believe that if we can just use it as a trigger, rather than to spiral and to get involved in that, to give God thanks, it breaks the cycle. And we stick it to the enemy. And thirdly, when we give thanks, it reminds us. And as it relates to us, this is the most important. It reminds us of the goodness and the faithfulness of God. So do, like Mufasa said to Simba, remember. Number two, rethink, rethink. You see, in Lamentations, he's saying, I'll never forget this awful time. But then he switches his thinking to the faithful love of the Lord. He says to himself, the Lord is my inheritance. I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who depend upon him, to those who search for him. He begins to rethink the way that he's going to think. Now, obscure passage alert right now. I'm going to read a passage. It's very obscure. And for the time being, you'll wonder what it has to do with anything. So stay with me and we'll unpack it in a second. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17 to 24. It says, Each of you should continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you and remain as you were when God first called you. This is my rule for all the churches. For instance, a man who was circumcised before he became a believer should not try to reverse it. And all the men said, is God. And the man who was uncircumcised when he became a believer should not be circumcised now, for it makes no difference whether or not a man has been circumcised. The important thing is to keep God's commandments. Yes, each of you should remain as you were when God called you. Are you a slave? Don't let that worry you. But if you get a chance to be free, take it. And remember, if you're a slave when the Lord called you, you are now free in the Lord. And if you were free when the Lord called you, you are now a slave of Christ. God paid a high price for you, so don't be enslaved by the world. Each of you, dear brothers and sisters, should remain as you were when God first called you. Okay, what does that have to do with anything? I want to focus in on, so Paul's talking about staying the way we are when we're saved. Like not not needing to change everything and be different because now that we're saved. He's saying God doesn't require anything of you except to be and to be in Him. To me, that is a great relief. That is such a blessing that He's not saying, well, now that you're saved, now that you're a Christian, your life should look like this, this, and this. You might come to church sometimes. My mum, my dad died when I was a baby. So for three years, she had little kids on her own. And she said that was the hardest time for her as a mum, being a single mum in church. It didn't look like how she thought it should look. And, uh, and my husband's mother as well, she actually eventually left church for a time because she found it too awkward to be a divorced woman in church. They had this idea that they had to look a certain way to be in church. Paul's saying, no, just however you are, just come as you are, exactly as you are. And, and this part, okay, so let's think about slavery for a second. The ESV talks about slavery here, not in terms of the way we think of slavery, but it uses the word bond servant. It says that there's two words that are used in the New Testament for slavery. One is the typical slavery that we think of now. And one is where someone has to redeem a debt. They couldn't pay a debt. They have sold themselves into service to pay that debt off. The ESV says that that's what this is talking about. And it doesn't actually matter even if it was the slavery that we consider. It's saying that you work according to the way that the Lord calls you anyway. But it's saying if you have the chance to get free, get free. But don't worry if you can't. What is, why is that, how is that relevant? Because we can have goals that we become enslaved to. 
We can have dreams and ambitions that then take the place that that then becomes our God. That then becomes everything that we're going after. And that becomes more important than our relationship with Jesus. And goals are great. Goals are fantastic. I had a goal at the beginning of last year. Bron, this year, you're going to lose 10 kilos. Praise God. This time now, I've only got 20 to go. It's a blessing. (laughs) I don't know about you. I don't know what your goal is. And they're good goals. I'm like, that's still my goal. Amen. Like, I want to get to whatever. Blah, blah. <laughs> I'm trying to convince myself that I don't care. <laughs> but whatever it is for you, you might want a promotion. You might want to get the pay rise and that's all wonderful. But don't let it be your obsession. Paul says here, you're a slave of Christ. You're not a slave to the world. Don't get so obsessed with next. And you all know people that are always looking for that next thing that makes them enough. And he's saying you are enough in Christ as you are right now. There's a saying in our world that says, if you're not enough without it, you'll never be enough with it. Well, Paul would reframe that and say, if you're not enough with Christ, nothing else will ever make you enough. That he is the enoughness that you need. Remember who you are. Mufasa also said that to Simba. Remember who you are. Which is the segue to the most important R in this message, which is the resolution, the resolve. The resolve. I don't know what your New Year's resolution is. But Paul made a resolve in this book of 1 Corinthians. You see, in, it's written in 54 AD. And he's talking about a time when he had travelled there five years prior. I'm going to read it now in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1 to 2. He says, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul's saying here that because what you might not, you might kind of think, oh, well, Paul, that's an easy way out for Paul. He doesn't have to have all the learning. Paul already had all the learning. And he's saying, I'm going to forget all the learning to just let Jesus reframe the whole way I think, to let go deep in Jesus. And not only Jesus Christ, him crucified, the Jesus that lays down his life for others, the Jesus that loves others, that's who I want to know. And that's who I want to be attached to. He resolved, that's his firm resolution. And so whatever resolution you make this year, may this be the most important resolution that you make. This took, takes him on a journey through this book. You can see the outworking of this resolve. And you see, I went to Sri Lanka just um, before we went on holidays. It was epic. I loved it. I, I was going to... Um, I, I love in summer break Sundays to not wear shoes on the platform. I figure that I just get away from all WHS requirements because it's summer. But these shoes really stink when I take them off. So I, I decided to bless you all and leave them on. But in Sri Lanka... Everyone takes their shoes off before they come into the church, right? There was like a thousand people and, and they were all in their bare feet with the shoes piled up at the door. Uh, it's a logistics nightmare at the end of church. Um, but, but I went to this church. We'd had a women's conference for a couple of days and then I went to the church and church went for three hours and it was amazing. And the preacher, he, they had two lines and people would come and get prayed for and, uh, and he had a certain way of praying 
that he would pray for them and then he'd whack whatever part was hurting. <laughs> it's just like, this woman came up on the platform. I was like, I recognise that walk. That is plantar fasciitis right there. Dr. Bron, back again. Um, and, and I could see by the way she was walking and, and she was talking. She said, you know, her heel was hurting and every time she woke up in the morning, it was hard to put a foot down. And, uh, and so then he prayed for her and then he whacked it and she yelped in pain. I was like, <laughs> what is happening? And then she stood up. And she walked off the platform completely healed, like no limp, nothing at all whatsoever. There was another girl who was there and every few steps she would faint and, and fall to the ground. And she was prayed for and, and the building was huge, you know, a thousand people. And so he said, right, go. And so she walked right around the building, right back up the steps to the platform, didn't fall over once. There was signs and wonders. There was a man who was tiny, like skinny, really, really fine. And, uh, and he had a bad back. And when the pastor laid hands on him, his head rolled and his eyes rolled and he began and took four men to hold him down. And so the, um, the pastor told the spirit to be quiet and to get out and he got up free and good to go. It was incredible. Yeah, amen, let's praise God. I said to Narrell, who was um, our guide at the time, I said, Narrell, what's a go? Because he's spent some time in Australia. Some of you will love this. Um, he said, uh, I said, what's a go? Why don't we see those manifestations in our worship? Because even just during the worship, there would be um, demonic manifestations that were happening under the presence of God. And he said, it's because you Australians worship the clock instead of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> yeah, someone's saying amen. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll get you to pray for 16 hours like they do before church, and then we'll have a three-hour church service. That's a deal. Done. Okay. And, um, but it was awesome. And then he said, he said, but also, he said, we, um, there's no justice in Sri Lanka. In Australia, you actually have decent justice systems. They might be flawed, but they're decent. He said, so we have no justice. So everyone just curses each other. We call down, that people call down curses on each other. So we're inviting that demonic activity all the time into our lives. And he said, so it takes a lot when people come to Christ often to, you know, get rid of that. And, and so it was like, like, it was awesome. And I was like, well, I see that I'm not even close to operating in the power and authority that Jesus has for me to operate in. Now, if I then decided that I need to work and work and get to that place. I have no, no capacity to do that. I'm Bron from Bennett Springs, Cowra, Reed's Flat Road. I don't have the ability to just work and work and, and then get more knowledge or whatever it might be. But you know what? Reading this book of 1 Corinthians, I believe for all of us, in order to step into everything that God has for us, it's a simple resolution to know nothing except Christ and Him crucified. To know nothing except eyes on Jesus and then laying down our lives for each other. And that is the resolution that we need to make. I hope you have goals. I hope they're God-worthy goals. I hope they're brilliant. But I hope that your goal is to love Jesus and to go deep into the depths of who He is. So Paul continues on, verse 9 and 10. But... As it is written, he says, What no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. You see, Paul's encouraging the Corinthians because they're caught in a faction fight. Some are like, I'm with Apollos, some are, I'm with Peter or Cephas, I'm with Paul, and, and they've got this faction going on. Paul's like, are you kidding? You've got Jesus. Who cares about us, the preachers? Get into the, and search the depths of God. 
God by the Holy Spirit's power. Chapter 3, verse 20, it says, The Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Let's not get caught up in knowledge and in instruction. Don't let anyone boast in men, for all things are yours. All things are yours, church. Paul O'Reilly, all things are yours. Dan Saunders, all things are yours. All things are yours. All things are yours. Don't rip yourself off looking for man's approval. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. Chapter 8, verse 1, we're just going on the, he's unfolding this, what happens when you make Jesus Christ your sole resolution. 8, 1, this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. For Paul to get here, we've got to understand he's the smartest guy in the room every time. Hands down. He's got the qualifications. He's a genius. And he comes out with a saying, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The Jews, they would go after a certain rabbi. They'd be like, I'm with this rabbi. The Greeks would go with certain philosophers and say, I love this guy. He's, he's my jam. And Paul's saying, knowledge puffs up. It's love that builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows someone, something, he doesn't yet know as he ought to know. And then we go all the way to chapter 13. You go, oh, Brian, you don't need to read it. I heard it at my cousin's wedding last week. No, I'm going to read it. Chapter 13. If I could speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, but I have not love, I am nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonour others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we only see a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And we, we've heard it, we know it, we're trying for it. But you don't get to write something like that unless Jesus has become your obsession. So 10 years later, Paul writes these words. Five years on, he's, he's, he's made a resolution. While I was with you, Corinthians, I resolved to know nothing except Jesus and him crucified. Five years later, he writes to them about it. 10 years later... He says this in the book of Philippians chapter 3, verse 8 to 11. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ. It's no longer I resolve and I've made this decision. It's now a deep desire in his heart. And you might be at the place this morning where you're like, yeah, I need to make that resolution. And I, yep, okay, I see that. But I'll tell you that the progression goes to where it's now just a burning desire in your heart. He says, and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. 
he begins to change all your desires. And now Paul has this desire. I'm going to suffer with him, share in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, had made, has made me his own. It goes from I resolved to know nothing. I resolved. It was my resolution to now I want that with everything that's in me. So then five years later, writing some of his last words to someone he called his son, Timothy. He's been deserted, he says, by the whole province of Asia. He's been let down, he's been shipwrecked, all these terrible things. And now he's in prison writing some of his last words. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, he says, that's why I'm suffering here in prison. But I'm not ashamed of it, for I know the one in whom I trust. And I am sure that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until the day of his return. He is full of confidence. He is full of just this strength and boldness because it started with the resolution. It went to a deep desire and now he's at a place where he knows him and he's about to meet him. Oh, church, I got emotional because what else are we doing with our lives? What else are we doing with our lives except for knowing Jesus and desiring to know Jesus? He would just, I believe that he would just compel us this morning and say, children, I love you with an everlasting love. I give you new mercies every morning. This is for you. This is my great pleasure and my great delight. While you are still sinners, I died for you. Would you live for me in return? Would you give me your all? And Paul's saying, cliques don't matter anymore. Power plays don't matter anymore. Ego doesn't matter anymore. Popularity contests, I I could care less about them. I could care less even about my achievements. I just want to go for it. And, and, and church, if you've got goals this year, I pray that every single one of them is accomplished. But I pray that they're grounded, the foundation of them is to know Christ. I made a pretty dumb statement at the start of last year, just to myself, not to, and maybe a few people, not broadly. So I'll make it broadly now. Um, but God dealt with me on it. I made this statement. I said, you know what? I don't know who I thought it was. You know what? I'm sick of hand-holding a bunch of fat Christians as they limp their way to heaven. (laughs) Yeah, do you feel loved and blessed by your pastor this morning? (laughs) God said to me after a little while of me saying it a few times, well, I put up with them, Bron. (laughs) And then he said, by the way, uh, have you looked at yourself across your life? I went, sorry, Lord, I'm so sorry, and repented. I believe that the heart and intent behind it was that, you know, we can come to church and tick a box. We can go, we've done the right thing because we came to church this morning. And then we can go home and live the rest of our life as though, well, I'll be back at church on Sunday and that's back to being a part of God and his life again. Uh, And Jesus actually, he said sometimes that, wow, come on guys, you should have moved on from here by now. Uh, Now, this is not you, obviously. But in me, there was something that was, I just want to live among a bunch of sold out people for Jesus who live for God with everything. And it was very ridiculous because I was not even that. But gee, I want to be part of that. And I want to be that. And I want to live my whole life just sold out completely for Jesus. So as we remind ourselves every day of who He is and what He's done, and as we rethink and ensure that we're constantly calling to mind how good He is, then let's also resolve to follow Him. So I'm, I'm, I'd love to pray. And I'm going to close my eyes. I don't mind if you close your eyes or not. But what I actually want to do and I'm, I'm, while I keep my eyes closed is because if you're like, 
okay, yep, that's me. As for me and my house, and as much as it depends on me and as much as the difference I can make, I want to follow Jesus with everything. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me, I will serve the Lord. I resolve to know Jesus and to lay down my life for other people like He does. And if that's you this morning, I'd love it if you could come to your feet. I'm just going to keep my eyes closed so I don't know what anyone's doing. If you're like, yep, I resolve to know Jesus, just come to your feet. And maybe this morning you're like, I don't, Bron, if I'm really honest, I'm distracted by many things. But gee, I want to make that resolve. I'm probably at the pre-stage of that. I'd love to, but I know that I can't honestly say it deep in my heart that that will be my resolution. I'll cut everything else away. I won't worry about different things that I know take my attention so much that aren't worthy goals. I just want to follow Jesus. It's not quite me yet, but boy, I want to. Then you feel free to come to your feet as well. And so right now, I'm just going to pray for everyone standing on their feet. Lord God, look upon your servants today. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to know you. Lord, that nothing else will do. Lord, that we just go after you with everything. Lord, right now we call to mind ways that you've been so faithful. And everything within us is grateful, Lord. Lord, we just want to know you. We want to pursue you. We thank you that you've pursued us. Let us be found in your love. Let us be found in your grace. Let us be found in your truth. We want to know you and you crucified, Lord Jesus. We want to know you and you raised and with the authority that you have as well, Lord. But Lord, our resolution is to know you. And God, just with my eyes closed and Lord, I just ask for everyone that's sitting down right now, Lord. Lord, that you, your love would be upon them. Lord, your grace would be upon them. But Lord, I ask that your conviction would also be upon them, that there's no better way to live than Lord, following after you with everything. Lord, that half in and half out is not a way to live and, and, and just attending or spectating or consuming is not a way to live, Lord. Lord, no condemnation, I pray in Jesus' Name, but a holy conviction, Lord, that would produce lives that are lived wholehearted for You. And we ask these things in Jesus' mighty Name. Amen. You may be seated. Amen.